Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Take something iconic, like the all-electric 2024 Fiat 500e. Add something electrica. Bring the swagger. And an Italian icon is remixed and ready to drop with its available premium JBL audio system. Tap the banner to learn more. Fiat is a registered trademark of FCA Group Marketing SPA. Used under license by FCA US LLC. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Due to the graphic nature of this woman's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of material that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. What's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Maybe you grab a cup of coffee or browse Twitter for the latest news. Now imagine you're the wife of a high-ranking Islamic extremist. You wake up alone in bed because he's gone again on Al-Qaeda business. You say a quick prayer for strength and for his safety. Then you pad down to the kitchen to pour bowls of cereal for your children. As the kids sit down to eat, you kiss them each on the head. Each child fills your heart with joy. While the children finish their breakfast, you pull up the internet on your laptop. You check the latest sales on your favorite shopping websites, listen to a few of your favorite Beyonce songs, and work on your business plans. You're sure your new exercise program for pregnant women will be a hit. When the kids finally go off to play, it's time to get down to the real day's work. You do some research on the most effective way to build a bomb. You coordinate the transfer of thousands of dollars to other extremist groups in your region. And you make time to study the Quran. In a lot of ways, Samantha Luthwaite was just like any other housewife in the world. But while she was carrying on a life as a doting wife and mother, she was also accused of planning terrorist attacks that killed over 400 people. Picture a murderer, a gangster, a thief. Did you picture a woman? We didn't think so. Society associates men with dangerous crimes. But what happens when the perpetrator is female? Every week, we examine the psychology, motivations, and atrocities of female criminals. Hi, I'm Sammy Nye. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And you're listening to Female Criminals. This is our second episode on Samantha Luthwaite, better known as the White Widow. Luthwaite was married to the terrorist responsible for London's tragic 7-7 bombing in 2005. And in the years following... She herself has been suspected of involvement in several terrorist attacks across Kenya. 
If you want to listen to any previous episodes, you can find them and all of ParCast's shows on your favorite podcast directory. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as at ParCast and on Twitter at ParCast Network. Many of you have asked how you can help the show. If you enjoy the podcast, the best way to help is to leave us a five-star review. Last week, we discussed how Samantha Luthwaite rocketed to public attention after her husband, Jermaine Lindsay, participated in London's 7-7 bombing in 2005. The attack killed 52 people, including Lindsay and the three other bombers. This week, we'll be diving into Luthwaite's own career as a radical Islamic terrorist. Years after her husband's suicide bombing, Luthwaite herself has been a suspect in several terrorist attacks in Kenya, including the Westgate shopping mall shooting, which killed 71 people. Since 2011, Luthwaite has been on the run from authorities. Though her current whereabouts are unknown, international law enforcement agencies are still asking questions about the White Widow. Samantha Luthwaite was a quiet, studious young woman before her marriage to Jermaine Lindsay, As one of the four perpetrators of the 7-7 bombing attacks on London in 2005, Lindsay's extremist ideals were much more radical than Luthwaite's traditional Muslim beliefs. But in order to become the good Muslim wife Luthwaite believed she had to be, she adopted her husband's extremist views. Following Lindsay's death in the 7-7 attack, Luthwaite wasted little time in seeking another husband. She reached out to Lindsay's former spiritual counselor and father figure, Sheikh Al-Faisal. During one of Al-Faisal's trips to South Africa, he met a man in one of his extremist circles whom he thought would make a good match for Luthwaite. That man's name was Fami Salim. In 2008, Luthwaite and her children traveled to South Africa, where they were received with red carpet treatment by the Islamic extremist community because of their relation to Jermaine Lindsay. She married Salim the very day after her arrival. Once again, Luthwaite was married to an Islamic extremist. While she settled into life with Salim, he began organizing their family's relocation to his hometown, Mombasa, Kenya. However, before the families moved to Kenya, Luthwaite gave birth to her fourth child in Johannesburg in 2010. Though most of their neighbors gave birth in government hospitals or at home, Luthwaite wanted a private setting and personalized attention from the nurses. She and Salim paid the equivalent of over 450 U.S. dollars for Samantha to have a water birth in one of the region's nicest birthing centers. Though the birthing center was not that much more expensive than a typical birth in South Africa, they chose the private room in the most reputable center as a way to differentiate themselves from others. Vanessa is going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but she's done a lot of research for the show. Thanks, Sammy. Dr. Lawrence R. Samuel, who has studied the effects of wealth on behavior, would describe Luthwaite and Salim with his term, coolionaires. These people view aesthetics as the essence of life. They have a deep desire to surround themselves with beautiful things and experiences, viewing their wealth as the opportunity to express their status as a person. Luthwaite and Salim like to show off how important they were by spending money, any amount, whenever possible. Bank records show that Luthwaite was a frequent online shopper 
and Salim was always buying new Mercedes-Benz cars. The question is, where was the money coming from? Salim ran a business shipping medical equipment around Africa, and Luthwaite was an assistant manager at a halal pie distributor. According to bank statements later seized by the police, the family was only making the equivalent of about 1600 U.S. dollars a month. The average cost of living for a four-person family in Johannesburg around 2010 was $2,183 a month, not including rent prices, according to Numbeo. Officially, Luthwaite and Salim were hardly making enough to support their growing family, much less pay rent on the couple's multiple properties and support their flashy lifestyle. But as police would discover, the couple wasn't only earning income from their day jobs. Based on the couple's spending and financial records, police speculated that Salim was receiving stipends from terrorist groups for the work he was doing in recruitment and training. During the investigation, it was also discovered that Luthwaite had taken out several credit cards under her stolen identity, Natalie Faye Webb. Under those fraudulent cards, she'd accumulated over 6,500 U.S. dollars in debt. The real Natalie Webb was a nursing student from Southend-on-Sea, England. Authorities believe Salim's extremist associates found a woman online who resembled Luthwaite and then forged a South African passport in the woman's name. According to David Simcox, chairman of the board of the Center for Immigration Studies, when forging passports, terrorists choose identities no one will pay close attention to and select a country of issue that will allow the easiest travel. Natalie Webb was the perfect target because her demanding nursing job kept her from traveling under her real passport, helping the forged passport go undetected, and South Africa was the perfect country of origin under which to issue the false passport because the country's friendly relations with the UK would make it easy to travel back home to England if she ever needed to. It would also make it less suspicious for her to travel throughout Africa, as South Africans are the most likely citizens on the continent to take leisure holidays. The British police discovered Luthwaite's fake identity in January 2011. The real Natalie Webb was questioned several times to see if she was connected to Luthwaite, Salim, or other radicals. But it was quickly determined that the young woman had no connection to the terrorists. But by then, it was too late. Luthwaite and her family were already on their way to Mombasa using the fake passports. And this was where Luthwaite's true turn to terrorism through kinship radicalization began. The Combating Terrorism Center at West Point Military Academy defines kinship radicalization as the ideological coaching of a previously non-radical person by radicalized friends or family. Kinship radicalization is accomplished through pre-existing bonds of trust and personal interdependence. For example, in the case of Tamerlan Zarnayev and Johar Zarnayev, the brothers responsible for carrying out the Boston Marathon bombing, Tamerlan was radicalized by watching extremist lectures. He later used his familial bond with his younger brother to sway him to the same belief. Tamerlan knew his little brother looked up to him and leveraged that trust and respect to convince him to commit the bombing with him. In kinship radicalization, recruiters leverage peer pressure, concern for reputation, groupthink, and a desire to maintain friendships or spousal relations to sway their loved ones to a specific ideology. Luthwaite was radicalized by her love for her husbands, 
both of whom had the same violent fundamentalist ideals. By the time she and Selim moved to Mombasa, Luthwaite had already been persuaded that she needed to do more for her husband's cause. And Mombasa was the perfect place for her to achieve that goal. The city has a long history with Islamic extremism. Mombasa was where the 1998 al-Qaeda bombings of the U.S. embassies in Kenya and Tanzania were planned. Ever since then, the city has been a hub for extremists to gather and plan their next moves. When Luthwaite and her family arrived in 2011, Salim was immediately welcomed into the circles of fellow terrorists. He was put to work right away, recruiting and training other jihadists, and frequently sent out of town for al-Qaeda meetings. Luthwaite wrote in her journal, quote, My husband has left me on many occasions to go out for Allah's cause. The pain of missing your husband and wishing to be in his presence is a test in itself, end quote. This and other journal entries suggest that she was incredibly lonely in Kenya. Salim was gone frequently, and she was left at home with the children. When Salim was home, she tried her best to please him by exceeding the expectations of a good Muslim wife. She cooked, kept an impeccably clean house, and made sure her children didn't bother him. Salim's frequent absences may have been the reason Luthwaite became more involved with her husband's extremist affairs. Psychologist Erica B. Slaughter's theory on personality and relationships may explain Luthwaite's behavior. Slaughter suggests that the more committed to a particular relationship a person is, the more that person will modify his or her behavior to make the relationship a success. Since her parents' divorce, Luthwaite had developed a deep fear of her relationships falling apart. It makes sense that she would do whatever she could to make sure her marriage didn't suffer the same fate even if that meant taking a hands-on role in extremist violence. Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. And now, back to female criminals. After Samantha Luthwaite and her new husband, Fami Salim, moved to Mombasa in 2011, Luthwaite found herself, once again, falling behind Islamic extremism on her husband's priority list. When Luthwaite was married to her first husband, Jermaine Lindsay, she sometimes accompanied him to meetings with other terrorists. But at the end of the day, she was more focused on building their family than waging jihad. Perhaps Luthwaite felt that if she'd showed more interest in Lindsay's activities, he wouldn't have stepped out on her. This may be why Luthwaite decided to be a more active participant in al-Qaeda cells in Mombasa. She asked her husband if there was something more she could do to help their family in the eyes of Allah. He gave her small tasks at first, cook a meal for his comrades, purchase some supplies for his next trip. Gradually, he trusted her with bigger tasks, and Luthwaite believed that if she followed through with her assigned tasks, she would make Salim proud, so proud that he wouldn't have an affair or leave her in a suicide bombing like Lindsay had. By exceeding at the job Salim gave her, she eventually earned trust with his superiors. They began to entrust her with more important jobs. Soon, Luthwaite was allegedly put in charge of a bomb factory in the suburbs of Mombasa. The radicalists needed an overseer who wouldn't draw suspicion by frequently visiting the property and working strange hours. Luthwaite was a perfect fit. In this role, Luthwaite was in charge of several young, low-ranking extremists who were tasked with building bombs for attacks throughout Kenya and neighboring Somalia. 
At night, Luthwaite would tuck her children into their beds and walk across town to the apartment with all the bomb-making supplies. While the young men cut wires and packed explosives, Luthwaite took inventory and coordinated the bomb's shipments through coded messages online. In the morning, she would return home to pour her children a bowl of Weetabix and read them the Muslim-themed stories she wrote for them. By day, she was just a loving mother trying to keep her family happy. By night, she was an important player in the radical Muslim movement. However, in late autumn 2011, the house that served as the bomb-making headquarters was raided by local police. An anonymous source, likely a neighbor, had tipped off the authorities, suggesting that the house was being used as a workshop for Muslim extremists. Luthwaite was not on site the day the raid happened, but another UK-born extremist, Jermaine Grant, was. Grant was taken into custody and interrogated about his involvement in the bomb-making. He told Kenyan authorities that he'd been recruited by al-Shabaab, a Somalian terrorist group, and brought to Mombasa to help his partner, Natalie Faye Webb, Luthwaite's false identity, make bombs. Al-Shabaab, which translates to the youth in Arabic, was created in 2006 after the Islamic Courts Union, a conglomeration of Islamic militant groups, fell apart. The soldiers left from the ICU were mostly young men who refused to accept their defeat. They reformed with a new goal to establish a fundamentalist Islamic state over the entirety of East Africa. According to the BBC, the group's initial membership was estimated to be between 7,000 and 9,000 soldiers. Still armed with the weapons left over from the Somali Civil War of the 1990s, they managed to capture most of the southern regions and borderlands of Somalia. The fundamentalist group currently governs those territories under strict Islamic laws called Sharia. In the years since its formation, al-Shabaab has recruited jihadists from all over the world. Though their exact current membership is unknown, UN officials believe that a large percentage of the al-Shabaab fighters are children, some as young as nine years old. The group is known for being extremely violent against Christians and other non-Muslim groups, and they're fundamentally devoted to ensuring Islam is the only religion in Somalia. They're responsible for thousands of deaths in various terrorist attacks, some of which were carried out with bombs made under Samantha Luthwaite's watch. After their bomb factory was raided in 2011, Jermaine Grant claimed that he and Luthwaite were tasked with preparing bombs for an attack similar to the truck bombings of government buildings that had recently been happening across East Africa. Grant testified that Luthwaite was put in charge of him and the other bomb makers because she possessed special knowledge in that area. The Kenyan police charged Grant with possession of deadly weapons and conspiracy to commit murder. They also issued an arrest warrant for Luthwaite's alias, Natalie Faye Webb, Although the British police had realized earlier that year that Natalie Webb was really Samantha Luthwaite, they apparently hadn't shared that information with the Kenyan police. After Grant's testimony in autumn 2011, the police began an investigation into Natalie Fay Webb. Locals eventually pointed them to Salim and Luthwaite's home in Mombasa, and the police obtained a warrant to raid the property. But Luthwaite and Salim's allies were able to warn the family before the police arrived. When the police raided the home, Salim was out of the country and Luthwaite and her family were hiding elsewhere in the city. However, the police did find Luthwaite's actual English birth certificate 
at the bottom of her suitcases and realized Natalie Faye Webb was just an alias. They searched Luthwaite's real name through their databases and discovered that she was married to one of the 7-7 bombers. Now they had her real name and proof that she was previously associated with known terrorists. Police thought they were well on their way to bringing down this dangerous extremist. They conducted a full sweep of the house and found items that painted two very different pictures of Luthwaite. On the one hand, she seemed to be a very devoted mother with an urge to help others. They found Luthwaite's journal in which she'd outlined a business plan for a pregnancy fitness class she called Pregasize. They also searched her computers and found that she visited fitness blogs, frequently read articles on marriage advice, spent money on online shops, and had favorited a Beyonce fan site. It was just like any other woman's computer. But amid these seemingly normal and benign activities, they also found clear signs that Luthwaite was connected to terrorism. They found a flash drive that contains years' worth of research on bomb-making. While tech teams combed her laptop and the flash drive, investigators continued to study her diary. Shortly after the journal entry for her pregasized business plan, Luthwaite wrote, quote, We ask that Allah keeps those fighting for his cause steadfast. We ask that he protects them and their families. We ask that Allah accepts the blood of those who die to make there be no God except Allah. End quote. Luthwaite was caught up in the push and pull factors that lead people to religious extremism. According to the Arab Center in Washington, D.C., the primary individual level push factors toward religious extremism are socioeconomic status, education levels, personal grievances, alienation, victimization and existential threat, and anger at injustices and persecution. These factors push people to seek a solution to their problems in extremist circles. It's very likely that the alienation, victimization, and persecution Luthwaite experienced in her English community after Lindsay's suicide bombing made her seek solace in those who would stand by her, the extremists Lindsay was working with. Along with the push factors, there are a number of pull factors that pull people deeper into extremism. These factors include a narrative of religious duty, utopia building and fulfilling prophecies of apocalyptic Islam, attaining reputation and acknowledgement, seeking a sense of belonging, and the promise of adventure and a romanticized lifestyle. Again, Luthwaite was driven by the idea of finding belonging and building a perfect family. While her British community was pushing her away, the religious extremists were pulling her in with the promise of inclusion and respect. Luthwaite's journal was the investigator's key to understanding how she'd fallen into extremism. But it wasn't the grocery lists or the pregasized business plan that made authorities realize just how deeply Luthwaite had been radicalized. In the diary, they also found a 34-line poem Luthwaite wrote entitled An Ode to Bin Laden. The poem outlines her heartbreak over Bin Laden's death and calls for Muslims to wake up and be strong against the common enemy. The back and forth between normal housewife behavior and her extremist writings suggests that Luthwaite was likely experiencing some cognitive dissonance during this time. Psychologist Saul McLeod defined cognitive dissonance as a mental health defense mechanism to alleviate the conflict between two inconsistent ideas. 
This is the process by which people rationalize behavior or beliefs that conflict with their moral code of conduct. Luthwaite probably dealt with cognitive dissonance as she tried to rationalize the stark contrast between her family life and the violence she was helping enact through her involvement with al-Shabaab. It appears she used her commitment to her husband and the values of her religion as a way to justify her involvement with jihadists. More specifically, Luthwaite probably compartmentalized her roles in life to prevent herself from feeling moral strain. It's possible she was torn between the peaceful foundations of Islam she was taught in England and the violent fundamentalist beliefs she had to adapt to, so she kept the two ideologies mentally separated. She probably viewed her life as a warrior for Allah as completely separate from her life as a good mother and a faithful wife. But no matter how Luthwaite rationalized it to herself, there's no doubt that she was actively playing a part in al-Shabaab's violence. During the raid on Luthwaite and Salim's house, police also found financial records and utility bills that indicated Luthwaite rented another separate property under Natalie Fay Webb's identity in a different suburb of Mombasa. Several days later in 2011, police raided the second house. Upon talking with the property manager of that home, police learned that Salim had dismissed all the servants that came with the house before he and Luthwaite moved in. The owner commented that this was very strange because part of the appeal of the property was the live-in staff and groundskeeper. However, Salim demanded absolute privacy at his home. The police suspected the second house was used as a base of operations for Salim and Luthwaite's al-Shabaab activities. They searched the home thoroughly and found 98 rounds of ammunition and dozens of destroyed SIM cards and mobile phones. They also found records of money transfers to and from the Middle East and other countries in Africa under Luthwaite's fake identity. They believed these money transfers were sent to Luthwaite with instructions for her to distribute them among other radical Islamist groups in those regions. Kenyan police continued to interview locals and track Luthwaite's sightings. They believed she was using her connections in al-Shabaab and the radical Islam community to move about undetected. Finally, on December 20th, 2011, police found Luthwaite after four months of searching. They followed at a distance as she walked through the neighborhood of Kisamia, which was just around the corner from the bomb factory where Jermaine Grant was arrested. There, police watched as Luthwaite entered her mother-in-law's house, which she regularly visited. A dozen officers were called to secure the perimeter, but only one senior officer entered the house. He later claimed that he found Luthwaite inside with a suitcase of two million Kenyan shillings, the equivalent of roughly 20,000 U.S. dollars. It's unclear what the purpose of the large sum was, but it was apparently given to Luthwaite and Salim by Salim's al-Qaeda and al-Shabaab connections. The officer claimed that Luthwaite showed him a South African passport and claimed to be a tourist. No one is quite sure what happened next, but the senior officer let Luthwaite go. She might have bribed him with the money or used the threat of her powerful connections to get the officer to back down. The officer never confirmed what happened. He simply said he was mistaken in letting her go, and for whatever reason, bribery or simply bad police work, the matter was dropped. Several days after that encounter, on December 20th, 2011, Samantha Luthwaite was seen publicly for the last time.
Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. Now, the story continues. In December 2011, the Kenyan police were finally closing in on Samantha Luthwaite. Her husband, Salim, had just been sent to the Middle East on an unknown assignment, and Luthwaite knew she had to get her family out of Kenya before she was found and arrested. On December 20, 2011, Luthwaite and her children went for a walk in their neighborhood, where they met up with Salim's sister, who was the wife of one of Osama bin Laden's most trusted confidants. The pair kept to themselves as they strolled with their children, but most experts believe Luthwaite was using her sister-in-law's connections to arrange travel and safe lodging for her family across the border in Somalia. Luthwaite was well-known in the fundamentalist Muslim communities because of her former marriage to suicide bomber Jermaine Lindsay, her current marriage to jihadist Fami al-Salim, and her financial support of terrorist cells. It was likely that her allies and her sister-in-law's connections would keep her safe until she and her children could be extracted from Kenya. Sensing Luthwaite was planning to leave the country, Kenyan police shared all their information with Interpol. In March 2012, Interpol placed an international alert for Luthwaite and urged all cooperating governments to keep an eye out for her. The hunt would prove difficult. After that last public sighting in December 2011, Luthwaite went into hiding. But that doesn't mean she ended her commitment to radicalism. The Kenyan government and many media sources believe Luthwaite has been the coordinator behind several of al-Shabaab's grisliest attacks in eastern Africa, including the Mombasa grenade attack on June 24, 2012. On one of the busiest tourist streets in Mombasa, as dozens of people crowded into the Jericho Bar to watch the Euro Cup, an unidentified attacker approached the building and launched a grenade into the crowd. Three people were killed, and over 25 others were seriously injured. Several eyewitnesses described seeing a woman who looked like Luthwaite lingering near the bar before the attack. The police announced that they had strong suspicions that Samantha Luthwaite was involved in the attack. This is an act that is intended to cower the people of Kenya. And if that is the intention, we want to give them assurance that we will not be cowed. We know terrorism for what it is. That is an act of desperation. Between the Interpol arrest warrant and the media coverage of the grenade attacks, Luthwaite's name was quickly gaining international notoriety. People wondered just how deep the White Widow had gotten herself in with the radicalists. Because she was seemingly impossible to catch, and authorities couldn't answer many of the questions surrounding her al-Qaeda and al-Shabaab involvement, the media had plenty of room to mythicize her. British media outlets were known for being particularly critical in their reports on Luthwaite, making her out to be a far more dangerous threat than the evidence really suggested. Perhaps they were using her as a scapegoat for Jermaine Lindsay's crimes, taking the nation's grief and frustrations out on the woman who chose to be with him. Or perhaps she was seen as a novelty, simply because she was the rare white woman in terrorist groups comprised mainly of Middle Eastern and African men. Whatever the reason, Luthwaite's notoriety continued to grow. Over a year after the grenade attack in Mombasa, the Westgate shopping mall in Nairobi, Kenya was attacked on September 21, 2013. A group of four young al-Shabaab jihadists entered the mall carrying grenades and assault rifles. For over 48 hours, the attackers held the mall hostage, 
firing mercilessly and setting off multiple grenade explosions. Two of the attackers took some of the shoppers hostage, while the other two worked on securing the mall from police and military entry. By the end of the incident, 71 people were killed, and another 200 were injured. The media was quick to claim that Luthwaite was responsible for organizing the Al-Shabaab attack. Initially, sources reported that she was one of the attackers inside the mall, holding victims hostage with assault rifles and grenades. As the attacks continued, police tapped into the mall's CCTV and realized that the four attackers inside the mall were all men. Still, Luthwaite's name was circulated with the tragedy. People suggested she was the mastermind behind planning and financing the attack. Al-Shabaab came forward on one of their Twitter accounts to confirm that no woman had been involved in the execution of the attack. However, they said nothing of the planning. Jihadist recruiter Makaburi told Real Documentaries that he could not comment on her involvement. He said, quote, If it's true, then she's a super lady. I wish I knew where she was. I mean, I want to propose to her. End quote. Incredulous, the documentarian asked Makaburi why he wanted to marry Luthwaite. He replied, quote, If she can keep the intelligence services of the world on their toes for so long, may Allah protect her. End quote. Despite the international arrest warrant and Luthwaite's growing infamy, the white widow still managed to remain undetected. Authorities believe she and her children were smuggled into Somalia by allies of al-Shabaab. Fami Salim's whereabouts are also still unknown. It's unclear whether he ever reconnected with his family after he left for the Middle East in 2011, shortly before Luthwaite and her children went into hiding. Since her alleged escape into Somalia, there have been several conspiracies involving Luthwaite's whereabouts. One of the most prevalent theories is that she and her children are living in an al-Shabaab stronghold in Somalia, where she serves as the female right hand of al-Shabaab leader Ahmad Umar. Sources believe that since her escape from Kenya, Umar put her in charge of training an all-female group of jihadists. The Star a Kenyan newspaper, speculated that Luthwaite was responsible for recruiting teenage girls and young women and training them as suicide bombers. Allegedly, Luthwaite showed the young women how to operate their explosive vests and how to pick the best locations to set them off. Once the girls completed their training, Luthwaite drugged them with heroin to ensure compliance and sent them on their missions across East Africa. This scenario seems unlikely, as many Islamic experts believe the fundamentalist leaders would never give a woman that much power. These experts point out that under Sharia law, the Islamic law that governs the extremist groups, women are granted very little power. But amidst all the rumors circulating about her possible whereabouts, there have also been plenty of rumors speculating about her death. In 2014, British media reported that Luthwaite had been killed by a Russian sniper on a recruitment visit to Ukraine. However, Ukrainian officials quickly denied this report with the statement, quote, We don't have any white widows and nor could we, end quote. The Ukrainian government said the reports were falsified to perpetuate the animosity between their government and the British government. When the media realized Luthwaite was still alive somewhere in the world, they went back to their conspiracy theories. The Kenyan star, in addition to naming Luthwaite as the leader of a suicide bombing squad, also speculated that Luthwaite was the mastermind behind the Garissa University college attacks on April 2, 2015. 
During those attacks, al-Shabaab gunmen stormed the campus in Garissa, Kenya, and took Christian students hostage. At the end of the attack, 152 people were killed and more were injured. It was the second deadliest attack in Kenya behind the 1998 embassy bombings. But Luthwaite's involvement is merely speculation. If she did mastermind the attacks, she did so without ever being detected by police. A little over a year later, The Mirror, a British news outlet, linked Luthwaite to the 2016 attempted bombing of a police station in Mombasa, Kenya. According to the newspaper, three women in traditional Islamic clothing entered the station, claiming that they needed to report a stolen phone. Before the officers could take their names, one of the women threw a gasoline-based bomb at the wall, and the other two drew knives and attacked an officer. The three women were killed by other police on the scene. Investigators quickly identified the women, though their names were not disclosed publicly. Police raided their homes and collected evidence, including their laptops and phones. The Mirror reported that the police found emails linking the trio of female attackers to Luthwaite. A real documentaries episode on Luthwaite also connected her to elephant poaching in Yemen. They believe Luthwaite is given money by her al-Shabaab cohorts to pay poachers to kill elephants and traffickers to sell their tusks for ivory on the black market. Once the sales are complete, she pays her operations people and puts the rest of the money toward funding more of al-Shabaab's terrorist activities. To this day, international authorities still have no good leads on Samantha Luthwaite's whereabouts, nor do they know the whereabouts of Fami Salim or Luthwaite's children. There's also debate among law enforcement about the extent of Luthwaite's involvement in al-Shabaab's terrorist activities. There's no doubt that Samantha Luthwaite is no longer the innocent English rose her childhood neighbors knew her to be. But is she the monster she's made out to be? Or is she simply a product of a media scapegoating? Amidst all the mystery surrounding the White Widow, one thing is certain. Luthwaite's story is a chilling, cautionary tale of how quickly a lonely, alienated person can be radicalized toward violence and hatred. Thanks again for tuning in to Female Criminals. You can find more Female Criminals and all of ParCast podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast directory. Many of you have asked how to help the show. And if you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. We'll see you next time. Female Criminals was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Carly Madden and Maggie Admire. Female Criminals is written by Jordan Giddens and stars Vanessa Richardson and Sammy Nye.